0: Alright, you can me open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, we'll be continuing there And uh, <clears throat> I'm sure you're, uh, it's the time of year where you're making resolutions, right? You're going to resolve to lose weight or do whatever, you know, spend more time with family And my resolution this year has been to stop procrastinating You know, it seems like I'm always waiting till the last minute to do things And then this morning I woke up and said, I, I think I'm going to wait till 2025 to do that so anyways, so much for that. Bradley was asking me how to have a joke, so that was a joke today. So maybe I should resolve not to tell any more jokes. Would that be a good thing? I don't know. I'll wait to 2025 on that one, too. All right, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 17. <clears throat> in the evening, he came with the 12. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? And he answered and said to them, it is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The son of man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, take eat this is my body then he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank from it and he said to them this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many assuredly I say to you I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives all right we're now coming to a very crucial time in Jesus' ministry, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's, his enemies are plotting his betrayal and his death, right? And his disciples are gathered now to observe the Passover. And this is uh, getting toward the end of that last week, right? Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, close to his crucifixion. In fact, this is within 24 hours of when he's going to be crucified. And we know this uh, as the... Last Supper, right? Everybody knows what we're talking about pretty much when you say this is the Last Supper. And uh, some things are going to happen. We know we will be getting into it, but Jesus is going to be crucified and his disciples are going to be scattered. They're going to be hiding in fear. But at this time, they are still together and Jesus knows what's about to take place and he's observing the Passover with his disciples. Of course, the Passover was observed annually. It was a Jewish feast to remember they're uh, deliverance from Egypt, right? That was, they were told to do this in Deuteronomy. You can uh, read about that in Exodus. You can read about the Exodus from Egypt. We all know the story, Moses leading them out. And really, it was God, right? Well, Moses was his, his servant. Moses was his prophet. Moses was the one that was leading them on earth. But it was really God that delivered them, just like he's providing Jesus to be our deliverer. So, he's he's gathered together with his disciples. He knows his death is imminent. In Luke 22, he says, before I suffer. And then in John 13, when we read that he was with those he loved. He loved them until the very end. As he observes the Passover with the disciple, Mark's going to record two things that occur during the supper, right? First of all, the public announcement to all. Jesus said, that one of them is going to betray him. And of course, they're all going, well, is it I? Is it I? You know, they're going, what are you talking about? They still don't know what's going to happen, right? They're they're, they're, they're bewildered by this. And he confirms it's going to be one of the 12. He says, whoever dips in the cup, in the dish with me, right? So it's part of God's plan. Jesus knows it's coming. But he uh, goes on to say, whoa, (laughs) woe to the one who does this. It would be better if he had never been born. You ever wonder what it would have been like if you'd never been born? Yeah, we, we watch It's a Wonderful Life every year at Christmas, right? You know, and George gets the opportunity to see what his community would be like if he'd never been born. But here we have someone who's going to betray our Lord. What if he hadn't never been born? Would someone else have done it? Would he not have gone to the cross like he did? What we're seeing here is this was part of God's plan from the beginning. And we had one at the beginning, Adam, who sinned, brought that into the world. Because of that, man had to suffer death and judgment. And now we have the man, the second man, coming in who's going to deliver the disciples and deliver us from that death that we might have eternal life. All right, well, they hear this. They're wondering what's going on. And then he has a private conversation with Judas. We read about that in Matthew 26. And he tells Judas, Judas to do what he needs to do. He knows who it is. Judas knows who it is. It's always interesting. I wonder if Judas said, "Is I. Because he may didn't want them to know it was him. I wondering about that. How, how did they do that? What, did, did they guess? When Judas leaves, did they figure he's going to... Turn him over? I mean, you always wondering about that, right? <clears throat> he leaves the supper to betray Jesus. And then Jesus does something else. He institutes the Lord's Supper. Using the unleavened bread to represent his body. And using the cup containing the fruit of the vine to represent his blood of the new covenant. Stating that he would no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom, you read that in Matthew and in Luke, when it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that shall come. So there are two kind of plausible explanations for what Jesus means there. He's either talking about having fellowship with us when we observe the Lord's Supper in the church, which is his kingdom, or that special communion we will have with Jesus in his Father's kingdom Spoken often in terms of a heavenly feast, and you can read about that in the Old Testament too that 's prophesied in Isaiah, but we come together every Sunday as was commanded to remember his death, right to remember what he did. in fact, Paul describes that in first Corinthians eleven and many times uh, whoever is leading the communion will read first Corinthians eleven verses twenty three to twenty five or so, and we read about the fact that this is a memorial of his body, and that And the death that marked the new covenant coming in. And the old covenant to be nailed to that cross with him. We read about his blood being shed for remission of sin. So the partaking of the cup is is a memorial for the blood that was shed. Because if you're going to have forgiveness of sin, blood had to be shed. And it was his blood that was shed for us. 1 Corinthians 11 also talks about a proclamation. We're proclaiming our faith in the death that he suffered. We are saying we believe that he died so that we might have hope. We're proclaiming a faith also in the certainty of his return, right? When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's not just about us drinking and eating. We are making a statement that we believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for us and that he's coming back. And we're stating it emphatically. It's an observance. It should be done with reverence, in a worthy manner, with self-examination, right? Let a man examine himself before he eats and drinks. And we're doing this with other Christians, too, with one another, in fellowship together, communion together, right? You know what, it's easy. We, We get used to doing it every Sunday, and it's easy to just go through the motions, you know. We don't really think about it. But the lord's supper was instituted for us so we can have something together that we do every first day of the week to remember what our lord did for us in fact you could almost say the main reason we gather together is for the lord's supper if you did nothing else that's the main thing right yes we 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 sing we we're in prayer we 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 hear lessons on the word and that's all part of the pattern that we've seen in the new testament but ultimately he said when you do this together remember me he instituted this with his disciples therefore we observe it each first day of the week we observe it with reverence we observe it with our self-examination and with an eye toward him right our hearts toward him and what he did for us The end of the lord's supper we're singing a hymn and today it's observed as i said on the first day of the week Jesus earnestly desired to eat that first supper with his disciples, knowing what was about to happen. And his disciples to eat the second and following together in his memory. When we observe the Lord's Supper, do we show the gratitude that we need to show? You know, it's kind of similar to that Passover feast, right? They did that annually to remember how God had delivered them from captivity. Now we observe every Sunday, the Lord's Supper, to remember how God delivered us from death. God delivered us from sin. God gave us hope of his return and eternal life. What a wonderful thing he did for us there. Yeah, we kind of take it for granted sometimes, don't we? But we shouldn't. We should be so reverent and so thankful in that time that it it should fill us up really you know should have abundant joy because of that All right, moving on verse 27 there Mark 14 then Jesus said to them all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night for it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered that's from Zechariah 13 but after I have been raised I will go before you to Galilee and Peter said to him Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, surely, I say to you today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. All right. Question for you. How well do you know yourself? Are you confident that you have a strong faith? Are you certain that you would never deny the Lord? You ever thought about that? In our text here, we find some examples of overconfidence, right? Peter, and, and he kind of leaves the thing, right? Peter's always the one guy jumping out there and sticking his foot in his mouth. But in this case, he's saying, no, 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 no. If I have to die, I'm not going to deny you. And the other disciples follow suit. They've completed the Lord's Supper and now on their way to the Mount of Olives. And we're seeing him prophesy about their desertion and then their reunion. He speaks of the desertion, as foretold by Zechariah, as we mentioned. And he also talks a little bit about that resurrection and reunion, which they, they don't understand. And then we see Peter's denial foretold. Peter asserts that even if all others stumble I'm not gonna stumble the rest of the disciples say the same thing and Jesus predictions come true we'll get into that eventually what can we apply to this with ourselves right as I mentioned do do we really know ourselves if you had somebody standing over you with a gun told you if you deny Christ you will live if not you will die what would you do? Now, I know that's very hypothetical. And hopefully, in the United States, that's never going to happen to you. But who knows, you know? Tough question. Disciples seem certain in their faithfulness, don't they? Yet every one of them stumbled. They didn't really know their true selves. Not at this point. And, you know, can we really know our true selves? we think we do you know and and we can lie to ourselves pretty easily right and we can say things or think things and then deep down we really know "Ah, that's not true I would never do that well someone does know though and that's God. God knows you better than you do I mean he knows every hair on your head what can we learn from that, then? What can be applied to us? Perhaps it's that level of comfort that we have with the Lord that we might miss because of our selfishness. We think we know what we'll do. We think we know ourselves. And we rely on that more than we rely on the Lord. So what are you talking about? Well. Many times, we miss things, right? Because it's my will, not yours. The Lord will provide comfort. We're going to see that in a minute, how he did that for Jesus. We miss things because we get too stubborn. Or we don't think, I don't need that. Or I'll never deny you and I can handle that. But as Christians, we need each other. And we need God. And did you notice? He provided some comforting words to them, actually. He says, we're going to get back together. Told them that. But they're not getting it. No, 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 no. I'll never deny you. Even if I die. Peter angrily states that he would die before denying the Lord. And the others do, too. Quick to boast of their faithfulness in the Lord. We can do that, too, can't we? We need to be careful about proud assertions. Remember the proverb? What is it? uh, The haughty go fast before the fall or whatever. Something along those lines. I should have read it. Got to be careful. You really don't know. What happens next there? Verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Is it, it is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. All right. Jesus, after the Last Supper, he's going with the disciples over to the Mount of Olives, into the garden called Gethsemane. It was a garden outside the city, across the brook of Ken- Kidron Brook, <clears throat> there on the Mount of Olives. Perhaps even a walled garden, don't know for sure. And the name means Olive Press. That's the Mount of Olives, makes sense, right? Perhaps a remote walled garden, a place where Jesus often went with his disciples. And note the contrast as I was talking about earlier. You remember Adam? was where? in the Garden of Eden, right? in the paradise that God had provided for the first man and woman and that's when sin came into the world, right? now we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he is about to take sin out of the world interesting contrast, it's amazing the symbolism that you can see in the scriptures when you look for it and try to make sure you see it. Yeah, we can pass right by that, right? Not, not, not think about that. But notice the symbolism that God has there. In Gethsemane, the second man conquered death by yielding to the will of God. Satan got Eve and Adam to do something for themselves. Remember? Remember? He said, God said, if we eat of this, we will die. And Satan said, no, no, you're not going to die. It's good, eat it. You're going to live forever. Okay. Well, They thought it was pretty good for themselves, so they did it. Here's Jesus, sweating blood, natural phenomenon when you're under that much stress. Crying out in tears as we read Luke, let this cup pass from me. I know he's the Savior. We have hindsight. We can go back and look. He was there for this purpose. But he's also a man. And can you imagine what it's like to know you're about to go through what he's about to go through? It's not just dying, but the suffering, the beating, the nails in his hands and feet, the hanging on his cross and I can't breathe. The way people are looking at him and seeing him and utter just hate. He knows this is coming, and he is terrified, under utter distress. And he goes to pray about it one last time, well, three times actually. And he takes some of the disciples with him. Interesting, right? Luke reveals that he's in agony. And he's enduring intense sorrow. He's described himself as being exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. His grief and his sorrow are partly due to the fact that he was taking upon himself our grief and our sorrow, where Jesus encounters solemn loneliness. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how alone? he must have felt at this time you know we often say if we know someone's about to die with you know sickness we don't want them to die alone do we how awful that would be for a loved one to die alone and it happens but this is jesus knowing what's coming and he doesn't want to be alone he wants the comfort that comes from those he loves so much so that he takes peter james and john who are from his inner circle all the way up into the garden with him, so that they can be there, near him when he's praying. And of course, they, they can't stay awake, but then they don't fully understand what's happening. But they had been with him from the beginning. These guys had seen him transfigured on the mountain, remember? They'd been with him during some of the wildest miracles that he had done. They'd seen it. They'd often been on the garden and on the mountain with him and yet they're sound asleep when he comes to them. Psalms foretold that this would happen in Psalm 69. Alone in his distress and sorrow our Lord found the garden to be a great place of great suffering for him and a great place of strength. How was that? When he expressed his prayer The agony of his is seen here, he so much so that he fell to the ground in terrible agony, and we read the words that he said, Abba, Father, take this cup away from me. But then he expressed, but not my will, your will be done. Adam came into the world, decided to do his will, not God's, in the Garden of Eden. Now we have the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, not my will, but yours. It was godly fear that Jesus expressed, and for, his such, and for such, his prayers was heard, were heard. Not that the cup was to be removed, that was not the answer, but that he would be able to drink it. He would have the strength to go through it. <coughs> if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. So, it turns out the man out of the paradise of God sinned, brought that into the world, brought all the suffering that we know today, because if they had not sinned, perhaps they would have lived forever in the garden, in the paradise, right? You see, God intended it to be that way. That's why Jesus had to come. We've talked about this many times, particularly when we were studying Galatians and others about the law and how that was a tutor but that was not the design that jesus had to come that we would obey and live and according with his will out of our love for him because of his love for us and here we have jesus demonstrating demonstrating that thus he has the victory over sin through his death and the shedding of his blood Jesus needed that special comfort, though, to help him out there. We don't read about it in Mark, but in Luke, we read that he received an answer to his prayer and that an angel came down and comforted him. God did send an angel to comfort him. He wanted the disciples with him, especially the three that he loved, and then he had an angel come down and help strengthen him. Jesus needed that. We need that. When we're serving in the kingdom, when we're here together, we need each other, and we need him. Paul, remember also, I had a prayer later, right, for 2 Corinthians about that thorn in his flesh. What did he get from that? He received an answer, didn't he? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. He didn't take it away, but through his infliction, God will be glorified. He would be an example to those around of what you can do in this world if you just trust in God. Notice what took place there. had a prayer that was fervent and persistent, a prayer that was submitted to the will of God, a prayer that strengthened, and a prayer that enabled him to face the cup that he was to undertake. Is that something that we can take to? Is your prayer life that robust? When you get on your knees, are you believing that God is going to answer your prayer? May not be what you want, but he's going to answer it because he's there. Or do you just kind of go through the motions? Or do you even pray at all? If you're not, that needs to be your resolution. Pray without ceasing. I mean it, folks. If you want comfort, if you want help when you're in agony, if you need strength, that's where you're gonna get it. And I would advise you to do at least like Daniel did. Pray morning, noon, and night as was his custom. We need it. We've got to have it. Moving on, verse 43, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude of swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, 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 and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they offered sick him and fled. Now a certain young men followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him and left the linen cloth and fled. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. <clears throat> one of the saddest moments, perhaps the saddest moment, the life of Jesus. Betrayal by Judas, right? One of his closest disciples, one, one of the 12 that had been with him since the beginning, and that is followed by, yeah, you guessed it. The disciples scattering, getting out of there quick as they can, high telling it down the Mount of Olives and out of town. And possibly Mark, the guy that ran away naked, we don't know who that is. Most scholars will say that was probably Mark. Not sure what was going on there, but obviously he decided to get out of there too didn't even take his clothes with him focus here is on Judas and what led him to betray Jesus our Savior how could one who had been with Jesus seen his miracles heard his teachings betray him with a kiss now what about us who claim to be his disciples today could we be betrayed guilty of that too betraying Jesus in some way are there things that misled Judas so much that he could have a similar effect on us? Jesus was betrayed by a close friend. Judas was no stranger. Sorry to mention, he was one of the apostles. He was among those whom Jesus loved. We already said that. And yet as prophesied, Jesus was betrayed by a familiar friend. We see that in Psalm 41. Being close to Jesus is no guarantee. Yeah, we may think that I, as long as I'm near him. And, and of course... Scripture says, draw nigh to him and he will draw nigh to you, right? He wants you to be close to him. But that's no guarantee. Like several of the churches in Asia Minor, we could leave our first love, remember? Revelations 2. Begin to tolerate false teaching, false doctrine. Permit false teachers to spread their doctrine, right? We can fail to grow spiritually not be in prayer not be in the word not be of service all those things that we need to be doing in the kingdom in the church which is the kingdom here on earth we can become lukewarm right Revelation 3 we can betray Jesus by denying him who bought us we've been purchased with a price right our lives are not ours. They're His. Therefore, we need His admonition to be faithful unto death. Not just in close proximity, not just going through the motions, not just coming here on Sunday and hanging out with the brethren. Your life needs to be focused, you need to have a purpose, a purpose, a resolution to be faithful every day not just on sunday not just on wednesdays every day judas was with him all every day but he wasn't there he often pilfered from the money box we read about in john 12. he had opportunity to make some money and he led him to betray jesus for 30 pieces of silver not only that, he betrays him with a kiss, like he's affectionate, love, you know, loved, a loved uh, brother. Jesus even says that, right? Didn't say to Mark. <clears throat> but he says, You betrayed me with a kiss. You guys had the opportunity to come get me in the temple, and you didn't do it. Why is that? What's it got to be like this for? Well. <laughs> We know Judas was a lover of money, obviously. The desire for riches and the love of money can lead us to do things we shouldn't be doing. Lead us to stray from the faith, right? You can also become too emotional. And I don't mean you can't have emotion. That's usually what leads you to repentance, right? Emotional, heartfelt, godly sorrow that leads you to that. But if that's all you have is emotion, you're going to be blown around in the wind, right? (coughs) Emotions can easily mislead us. They're not stable. (coughs) We need to learn to love God with all our heart, soul, and our minds. Uh, the Spirit does not produce fruit in our lives without a little bit of emotion, a little bit of zeal, a little bit of desire. And that's what we're talking about here. True faith comes from the Word. We need to be in it. And that's another resolution you to be making, to be in the Word, not just on Sundays. He was betrayed by a mistaken disciple. <clears throat> Judas mistook the consequences of his actions. Matthew 27 Apparently, he didn't realize what was going to happen exactly. Some will even tell you that Judas was doing this to force Jesus to act. To force him to show his power, who he really was. Not understanding, as the rest of the disciples, what his true purpose was. Do we do that sometimes? Have mistaken service, thinking our service Is acceptable when it's not thinking we can improve on God's way when his ways may not be ours we need to heed the preachers advice come do what he says obey the commands love him with all your heart soul and mind for there hangs all the law and the prophets Judas ends up committing suicide. And I think we can even take a little bit of a lesson from that. Yeah, he did a terrible thing, betraying our Lord. But when things didn't turn out perhaps like he thought they might, he ended it. He couldn't get over it. And that's something else, too, we need to remember. When we fall short, we need to confess it. We need to realize it, don't lie about it, repent of it and ask for forgiveness, and then move on. Yes, I'm not going to say Judas could have done that. He could have repented and and fell on his knees and asked forgiveness, and of course, the Lord would have done it. But that's something we need to keep in mind too. Remember Paul. Paul said he was the worst of sinners yet he moved on and you know what he did some things to think about right If we're focused on God's grace we can always have another chance if we have that true godly sorrow that leads us to repentance you're going to grow spiritually you're going to be in the word you're going to be in prayer and you're going to be in service. And so in 2024, I hope that's your primary goal. Because really, when it comes down to it, nothing else matters. All that matters is what you did for the Lord. That's all that matters. So, your time is up. Happy New Year. Thanks for being here.